Sips and Ish, Alex Nepa here with you back again. It's Tuesday. You know what that means? It means I'm a day late with this podcast. I guess that's all right. It's really, it's up to you. If you're pissed off at me, let me know. Hit me up on the DMs at DJ Alex Nepa. I think I have a pretty good excuse, though. I was in New Orleans last week with the Think Tank group, DJ Think Tank. Uh, we did a mini tank um, right in the heart of New Orleans, just outside the French Quarter. Had a really, really good time. Learned a lot of good shit. But really, it was kind of just a mental reset for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I did the family vacation in Florida just two weeks ago. I came back engaged. But the Think Tank group really was just a, a good mental reset with some homies and people that I trust in business. Um, yeah, stayed in a really cool Airbnb. Well, um, I necessarily didn't stay in that really cool Airbnb, but Airbnb. But we had a really cool Airbnb for the group, and um, honestly... I'm going to say straight up that this uh, mini tank, and you know, I know think tank rules, you can't talk about think tank outside of think tank, but this mini tank was really just a nice reset. It was like, I'm going to be straight up, it reminded me a lot of the original DJ Collective in Austin, Texas, where it's just people that you trust in business, people that you get along with really well socially, hanging out. Just kind of letting it all hang out, talking about our pains, talking about our successes, um, you know, asking for help in areas that we need help in, and giving advice in areas where excel where we are excelling. So yeah, it was awesome. It was a good time. Um, you know, I, I came back and I didn't have COVID, so I was happy. I know the uh, Omicron is going around really strong right now, and if you're suffering from that, uh, hopefully you guys recover quickly. And before I actually left for Think Tank, I sat down with Drew Pierce, Fusamania. I'm not sure if this podcast will ever see the light of day. If it does, it's going to require some major, major, major editing. Um, but yeah, the Drew and Fuse show met Sips and Ish, and I, it should go live soon. If not, we'll re-record it. But we, we, uh, we drank a bunch. We drank a real lot. And so much so that I've never been hungover from recording a podcast before, but I was hungover. I know Drew Pierce was hungover and it just got so, it was a great conversation. First of all, you know, it was just three people that respect each other and enjoy each other's company, talking business, talking shop, talking, uh, you know, where they got, how they got where they got and all that stuff. But uh, towards the end of the conversation, um, we all kind of got a little silly, a little loopy, and things stopped making sense. And that might not be the best podcast listen. So hopefully we can chop that up and leave it, a to, leave it as a to be continued because it was fun. It was fun talking with Drew. It was fun talking with Fuse. And I do have a couple points to make here. How about that new Pioneer? The DDJ Rev 7 is live. There's also a little mini Pioneer controller. It's 250 bucks. It actually kind of looks dope if you need to like record something in a small area or practice. You know that that's cool too. But yeah, the Rev Seven. I ordered mine. I pre-ordered mine. Waiting for it. Can't wait for it. I'm pumped. Um, I've long said that like the DJM S9 style controller layout, mixer layout. Pardon me. Is just like money. It's it makes you. I could be so fast with it. And as an open format mixer, I'm super fast. I play songs like sometimes less than a minute, a lot of times less than a minute. So that workflow of that mixer, the DJMS9, which I held on to for, you know, three or four years, and I finally replaced this year with the S11, 
that's just a perfect mixer to me. And while I have the SRT 1000, I actually had three of them at one point. I have two of them now still. Definitely keeping one. Uh, I kind of want to offload my second one, and the, the last one will be my backup. That's a great controller. It's it's a dope controller, and especially you know you get it for around like well when you could get it when the supply and demand was strong, or the supply was strong and the demand was you know moderate. You could get it for around a thousand dollars. I actually sold my white one for two grand, and I, I consider that a bargain. The white one was a limited edition, and I sold it with a case, and yeah. I think the buyer was happy with that sale. But yeah, I've, I've been saying forever that the Ultimate Pioneer controller, and I didn't obviously motorize platters. You know, that's cool as hell. I'm pumped for that. Um, but that's not like the most important thing to me. If they would have had the DDJ, or pardon me, yeah, the SRT 1000 platters on this Rev 7 with the S7, S9, S11 style mixer on it, I would have bought that too. And I would have bought it at the same price point, 1800 bucks. Just because, like, that's just the perfect mixer layout uh, for these small events. But now the question is, like, um, for my, um, you know, in my Toad booth that I have, I have the Rain 12s and an S11. The real question is, you know, with the improved sound quality on this um, controller, is this going to be my main unit now? Is this going to be what I play weddings with? Is this going to be what I bring to the places like the basement and clubs that don't have an installed sound system or installed the DJ system, I should say? Yeah, that, this might be it. I mean, it, requ- it remains to be seen because I've yet to play with it. But, I mean, it, it looks super dope. It looks like it hits all the spots. I mean, it is what it is. I and is. I've, I've been a controller guy, like... I've, controllers have never been my main unit. Like, I mean, I've always been a CDJ or, you know, a Pioneer Mixer guy at weddings. Um, even back in the day, you know, CDJs and Rain, the, the uh, what the hell was that first Rain Mixer? The, DD, the, the 57 SL, the Scratch Live Mixer, the first Serato uh, Mixer that was not, you know, part of just a Serato box. I've, I've always been that guy. So, I mean, I, I'm excited for this Rev 7. I can't wait to get it in. I wish I had a firm date. But yeah, I'm, I'm pumped to play with it. And it, it really could be either this could be the replacement like for, you know, my uh, Rain 12s and my S11, of which I still love playing on those. Or potentially, you know, if Pioneer puts out like a 10-inch or 7-inch motorized platter type CDJ media player, whatever they call them these days, like that could be something really sweet that just goes with my S11 and, and lives in my Toad booth. So yeah, I'm excited, and if I, you know, really enjoy playing on this um, Rev Seven, there's a good chance I'll get to get a second one. Um, I always like to have two controllers. I like to leave something in the house to play with. Although I do have an S9 and CDJs here. Yeah, I've got a lot of gear. I think a lot of DJs have this. We're gear nerds. I always say I'm not a gear nerd, but I'm a gear nerd. So confession here, I am a gear nerd. But here's something that's really gonna make me some money. My brand new website. I know I mentioned it on other podcasts. It was in the works. My good friends at Rightfully Said launched my brand new website. That's right. DJ Alex Nepa is live. AlexNepa.com. DJAlexNepa.com. I really love this website. I'm thrilled with it. I don't think uh, I can't. I can't speak highly enough about Rightfully Said and their website design process. And this is coming from somebody who has owned. A website design company. Yeah, in the past, I was the uh, co-owner of Nightlife Media Labs with uh, Jeff Musilar of Pinnacle Productions, also the tour manager 
for San Holo. Guys, yeah, this website, they crushed it. The process was easy. They had me send their send them the things that I needed. And I I think I'm going to give you guys some tips here if you're having somebody design your website or hell, even if you're designing your own on Squarespace or Wix or a site like that. I use Showit. Um, Showit's actually pretty popular with photographers. And I think the, the, the company was actually born and bred and owned by wedding photographers or former wedding photographers. So wedding photographers jumped on this platform. And that's where I first kind of noticed it. I noticed a lot of photographers had this interesting style of a site that really worked well on mobile and on the computer. And um, just kind of asking around, I found Rightfully Said. And uh, they are actually a design firm from Ohio. Actually, I don't know what the fuck I said Ohio for. They're from Hawaii. <laughs> uh, two very polar opposite states. One state I really want to go to. Another state I really... It's Ohio. I'm not going to badmouth it. It's just Ohio. So it is what it is. But anyway, here are a couple tips I have if you're having a firm design and develop your website and or if you're doing it yourself. Number one, spend a week or two and gather your materials in a folder or a Dropbox. That means photos of you, photos of you DJing, and then photos of like that, those aspirational photos, photos that are really going to sell your couples or your, your clientele. So if you're DJing clubs, people in a club having an awesome time. And, and try not to use stock photos. You know, if you're a club DJ, chances are you've DJed in a club where a photographer has been shooting. You know, hit them up. Ask them if they'd share some photos with you. You might have to throw them some money. You might not, um, but well worth it. And you want to find photos of just people like with their with smiles on their faces, hands in the air. And the same thing goes with weddings too. If you're a wedding DJ, hit up some photographers. If you haven't already, get packed dance floor photos. Get couples. Get a, get photos of the bride and groom or the couple. You know, if it's a same sex marriage, and just you know, smiles on faces. People having a good time. Those photos are called aspirational photos because people can picture themselves in those moments. And those are the, those are the things that sell. You know, the, hey, I, I want to imagine myself in that moment. I want to imagine that's me. So gather those in a Dropbox. And then the second step, if you're designing or developing your own website or hiring somebody to do so, would be just open up a, a, a Word document, Notes Doc on your app, on your phone, pardon me, the Notes app on your phone, or a Google Doc, whatever, and think of the pages you want. So I, obviously there's a home page that goes without saying. Number two, always an About Me page. That's actually going to be the most visited page on your website. And you want to keep it short and sweet. Don't go, you know, full-on novel or, you know, full-on autobiography. A couple paragraphs, a couple short sentences even will work wonders because people just want to consume, you know, short little pieces of information. Same thing with like, you know, like what you've accomplished, your resume, put that on there. Put, put down like venues you've played that you're proud of, career highlights. Um, there's a thing called social proof. So if you're heavy into corporate world and in, into corporate work, Grab the logos of some of the bigger companies that you've worked for. If you've won Wedding Wire Awards, the Knot Awards, or even like a local wedding award, you know, gather those logos or badges and put them on your About Me page. And then from there, if you have a video, cool. I'm actually working on some. I, I'm not the best with a video. I wish I was better. I wish I was more ahead of the curve with video. But it works wonders, too. People want to consume video and video, too. Keep those about a minute long, a minute to 90 seconds long. People aren't going to watch that whole a half hour. You know, they're not going to watch an episode of the Golden Girls with you on it. 
So that those would be my three biggest pieces of pieces of advice. And once you've got those pages kind of like like set, so you want an about me page, kind of like a services page too. Um, uh, you know, like, but really they're going to know you're a DJ and, and on your about me page, you could put down what you do. Definitely want to contact us page or contact me page. And really like I have a media page on my, uh, on my website and that's just, you know, how to listen to my mixes, how to get a hold of my, like the newest podcast. So that's pretty important too. have those, um, you know, think about what you want on your site before you go in there and spend hours or weeks, um, doing it real time and wasting your time. So basically set yourself up for success or if you're paying somebody, you want to get the best result out of them. So just give them everything they need to crush it. You always want to set, it's the same thing as like having a team, you know, you always want to line up your team to hit home runs. And if you're paying a lot of money for a website, then, you know, why the hell wouldn't you want to get the best website possible? So that's my advice on websites, I you know obviously I could give a lot more, so feel free to hit me up. Um, Instagram is always a way to go at DJ Alex Nepa. And lastly, last thing I want to talk about today is I'm redoing my crates. Every single year at the end of wedding season, I delete my crates. Yeah, I know. Don't let your anxiety go too wild. I literally delete all of my crates and start from scratch. Why do I do that? Well, I'm in a college town here at Penn State, State College. So the last thing I want to do like on an alumni weekend or a home game weekend or if it's somebody just visiting school, the last thing I really want to do is um, be that old DJ that is playing the same exact sets that, that I played in 2012, 2013, 2014, even last year. I kind of want to reinvent myself every year. So I come up with new routines. I get rid of all the old music out of my crates and then, you know, stuff that I've barely played. Thank God for Serato play count. And, um, you know, I just kind of whittle it down and, and then keep the best of the best. Now I will say this, I used to completely delete my crates. What I do now is I have a master crate called archive and I drag my old crates into that. Or if I ever need to reference them, I can go right back into that. You know, it says a sub crate. And I could find out, you know, what I need to find out. Um, yeah, I used to just delete them blind and go in from it. And it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but it is nice to be able to look back and, um, you know, even go back into old crates two years from now, three years from now and bring something back that I've kind of let fall by the wayside because I played it out for a couple of years. So that's my advice. Um, I did have like a big piece of advice in terms of um, kind of using Serato Play Count to go through your library. And what I like to do is, and when actually what I've started to do is, I, I haven't even made any crates yet, but I've actually um, sorted all of my music by play count, and I've gone from the lowest to the highest. And you wouldn't believe how many thousands of tracks I have in my music library that have been played zero times. So you have to think about that. Why is that living on my hard drive if I haven't played it? Is it there just in case I need it? Because realistically, like, when am I going to need it? So I will say that I am, I'm only on the letter like F. Yeah, letter F <laughs> for fuck this project because this is a lot of work. But yo, know, so I'm on the letter F and like I have deleted like gigabytes and gigabytes of music just because like there are some tracks that I've never played that, I've, that I'm keeping just because I, I could see myself playing it at some point in time. But there's also a lot of tracks that, you know, I've never played and like I'm just never ever going to play them. I don't need them. 
Like if I absolutely need a song, I could probably latch onto like a hotspot on my phone and download it in the moment. But even then, like if I don't have it on my laptop and I've been DJing for this long and Serato play, Serato play count has been out, what, probably three years now, I, I'm probably fine. I'm probably not going to play that song. And it's just, you know, like it's probably not going to work for a crowd, even if somebody is demanding it. The only way I'll play it is if a couple like, you know, that I'm is paying me if, if they're the wedding couple and they want it. However, there's a good chance I'll just download it ahead of time because we're going to have that communication. I'm going to know what songs are must plays. And if I need to download something because I don't have it, I'm going to download it. What I'm really actually looking forward to is getting into like the one songs I've played like one time. And I, I actually have this request and like I've actually requested it directly to Serato, but I've talked about this before. Not only do I want play count, the next feature I want in my Serato in terms of the history, I want a last played column. That way I could find out, okay, I played the song once in 2017. I don't need this help. I don't need that. And it just makes it a lot easier to kind of whittle down your music library. And I think it'll probably take me a month or so, like probably to the end of January to get through all of my music library and delete duplicates, which um, if you don't have Gemini 2 for Mac, Gemini 2 is an ex- excellent duplicate finder. But even then, like Gemini 2 It'll find the exact file name. So if you have two songs with the exact file name, like let's say you downloaded something from Direct Music Service or Promo Only, and it's got the same exact file name, you'll be able to download, like you'll be able to recognize that pretty easily. And I, I deleted a shitload of songs like that. However, if you've got like a song that's the same song and a different version, not the same file name, they do have like similar files like they, they've got some kind of algorithm that finds similar titles titles and things like that but it's not perfect so you're still gonna have to go through it manually and decide which one of those you want to keep that's that's another thing every year that i do you know like obviously the big songs i end up having like five or six remixes of them that i've played once especially with my pumped radio podcast where i try not to um double up on songs ever like I'll play the same song for multiple weeks, but I'll play different versions of it. So that's, um, you know, I've got a lot of different versions of the same song. So I want to be able to find the strongest one. And sometimes I'll actually open up Ableton. If there's like a remix of like a, a hype house or EDM track or a tech house track that I dig, I'll actually merge them together and I'll put like the first half of the song will be like one version and I'll kind of flip into the other, other version where it works. So that's a tip too, if you know how to edit, but yeah. Uh, this is going to be a long process. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to redoing my club crates, redoing my party bar crates. I've got a lot of dates at Doggy's Pub lined up this semester too, so I really, really need a strong party bar vibe for that. And yeah, definitely pumped to redo my wedding crates, come up with some new creative routines that make people go, oh, shit, that's what I live for. But this is going to be uh, that's going to be it for me this week, guys. Um, yeah. Let me know if you have any tips for organizing your music library. I know Drew Pierce gave me some tips in in terms of letting my music library live on Dropbox. Uh, And I'm definitely excited for that. It makes for a good backup and also lets me kind of put things in crates across multiple computers. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this iteration of Alex's 2002 Serato crates. Guys, have a great week. Look forward to seeing you next week.